0: It is to say that he or she is no longer as athletically impressive as they used to be. It is quite simply to imply that he or she is no longer in their prime. And maybe there was a time when they could outrun a horse. And maybe there was a time when they could outleap a kangaroo. And maybe there was a time when they were strong enough to tackle a bear, but not anymore. Now. When he runs, he can barely outrun a child. And when he leaps, his feet barely leave the ground. And when he goes in for a tackle, he gets cremated in the process. So the people say, man, this guy's finished. He's washed up. He doesn't have it anymore. You know, such is the plight of an athlete. But I come this morning to ask you a question. Do you still have it? You see, it's easy to sit on the sidelines and watch a game because uh, being a fan is a spectator sport. But when it comes to life in Christ, we have a responsibility to be on the field and taking part in the action. And sometimes in the process of being active in spiritual warfare, we can find ourselves losing our focus losing our fire and no longer willing to fight and so this morning again i'm coming to ask us all the question do we still have it We begin this morning in revelation chapter 2 beginning verses 1 through 7 revelation 2 verses 1 through 7 Praise God. And the Bible reads to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write: These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand. And walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. He says, I know your works. Your labor. Your patience. And that you cannot bear those who are evil. And that you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have perseverance and you have patience and you have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Verse four. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give him to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. This morning, we're just going to make four simple points, answering the question, do you still have it? One, if you still have it, it is because of Christ. Two, if you have it, make sure you use it right. Three, if you have it, you can absolutely lose it. And four, if you still have it, you are going to have to prove it. Now, I'll put it in a simple riddle so we can all hold on to it. Again, if you still have it, it is because of Christ. And if you still have it, make sure you use it right. And if you still have it, you can absolutely lose it. And if you still have it, you're going to have to prove it. We so Take notice that this particular letter is written to the church of Ephesus. Ephesus was a major city. As a matter of fact, some would say it was the capital of the Roman province of Asia. Uh, It was a very wealthy seaport city. It was one of the largest cities in the world at that time. But Ephesus was an idolatrous city. And they intermingled religion and magic. And Ephesus was known as the temple guardian of the great goddess Diana, according to Acts chapter 19, verse 35. And the temple was known as one of the seven Wonders of the ancient world at that time. But in Ephesus, there was a church. There was a church, there was a group of people who named the name of Jesus Christ in this wicked and idolatrous and worldly place. And there was a church there. And John is writing this letter to encourage the saints in Ephesus. And as a matter of fact, it is Jesus who is revealing this to John on the island of Patmos that he might give it to his servants. It says uh, to speak about things are soon to come. Point one, if you still have it, it is because of Christ. Understand that this in point one, one a Christ cares about the church. OK, and that's why he's writing this letter in Ephesians chapter five, verses twenty five through twenty seven again. This is the church of Ephesus, so we look at what was written to the church before this time. Now, the church was established around AD 55. Some people say that the book of Revelation was written around AD 95. Scholars dispute these things, but if we were just to use it as a a 40-year window, a 40-year period, at the end of the day, there was one thing that this church was known for. But now, 40 years later, the church is no longer known for this thing. There are no Longer known for the things that they were once known for. So understand that Paul writes to this church in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 and 27. And he says that uh, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might. Uh, and, and he gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her by the washing of the water by the word. And he says that he might present her to himself a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. So you understand it's not a surprise or secret why Jesus, 40 years later, is writing this letter to the church. He's sending this message because he has a desire for his bride to be without spot and without blemish. And how did Jesus say he was going to cleanse and sanctify his wife? By the word. So he's sending a letter to the church, and he's trying to sanctify her and cleanse her, because I don't know about you, gentlemen, but when you got married, here's a question. I'm not trying to be comical, but ladies, which one of you, when you got married, came down the aisle wearing a dirty dress? Hopefully none of you. Men, which one of you would love to see your bride coming down the aisle wearing a dirty dress? Now, I don't know about you, but the type of person I am, if I see my wife getting closer, and that's not the dress that that she said she was going to be wearing, I'm liable to say, hey, stop all the singing, and why are you wearing a dirty dress? Because you, you understand, if we have the same type of thinking, women towards ourselves and men towards our wives, what makes us think that Christ wants to see his wife, to see his wife with a spot or a blemish or a wrinkle? So the same concept applies. Christ wants to sanctify and cleanse his church, which is his bride. Within point 1b, understand that Christ is in control of the church. Notice he says that the seven stars, according to Revelation 1.20, he said, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars which you saw are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven golden lampstands are the seven churches. So he's telling us, one, that he is in complete control of the message, of the messenger, and those who are receiving the message. In John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. He said, my sheep hear my voice. He said, and I know them, and they follow me. He said, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. But then he asked this, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. He said, my father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of his hand. I and my father are one. So understand this. This is not a pickup game between Jesus and the devil. And if it was a pickup game between Jesus and the devil playing one on one, Jesus is saying that the devil won't get a steal off me. He won't get a block off me. He won't score a point on me and he will not get the victory. The entire church, everything is in his hands. And he says that he walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. He understands what's going on in the church. So we must be careful how we treat each other in the church. Somebody said, well, two or three are gathered in my name. There I am in the midst. And some people say, well, that's only a particular issue. Well, if that's true, then this is a lie. Jesus said, this is Jesus speaking. He said, I walk in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. He cares about the church. He is in control of the affairs of the church. But point 1C, again, Christ knows what's going on in the church. He said, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. And you have found them liars. He said, you have persevered and you have patience, and you have labored for my name's sake, and you have not become weary. Understand at this point, before we get to point verse 4, Jesus is commending the church at Ephesus for the things that they do. I know children sometimes as a parent, as parents, they think we don't see the things that they do. And sometimes we, we don't recognize Sometimes they're back there in the youth finisher and they're coloring all these pieces of paper all the time. And, 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 and they're, you know what I'm saying? They bring and they show us these things all the time, right? And we're like, oh, that's nice. That's so cute. You know what I'm saying? There are some of the parents in here, I know, like me, sometimes we try to hold on to those pieces of paper, right? We hold on to all those little colorings that they show us. And we go and hide them somewhere in a safe place. And then maybe five, 10 years, 15 years down the road, you go back and you show your child all those coloring books and all those little things they colored and little things they doodled in Sunday school, and their and their eyes just light up like, man, I can't believe I can't believe you held on to that all those all those years. This is what Jesus is doing to the church at Ephesus. He's telling the church, look, I know, I know, I know. That work you did, the labor that you did. I know, I know everything that you did. I'm aware of every every piece of paper that you colored, every every Sunday school lesson that you set through, every every uh ridiculous sermon, every every poor, lame preacher who stood in front of you. I know, I know all of it. I know all of it. And he's commending them for the work that they do. You recall in Acts chapter 20. Quote me, please, to Acts chapter 20. Because we have to understand that the Lord knows. The Lord sees and the Lord knows. We have to understand that. Before they even got to this place, the Holy Spirit speaking through the Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 20, you recall that Paul was on his way to Jerusalem. And He didn't want to go through Ephesus because he was trying to make it to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. So he stopped through Miletus and he called the elders of the church at Ephesus to him at Miletus. And he spoke these words to him to them. He says, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. He said, therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among you, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. He says, therefore, watch and remember, excuse me, And remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone, night and day, with tears. The Lord told the church at Ephesus beforehand through the Apostle Paul. And you can see here in what Christ is commending about them, that they were doing exactly what they were supposed to be doing. Everything they could to protect the flock. You recall what uh, Paul told Timothy in first Timothy, chapter three, first Timothy, chapter one, beginning in verse three. He says, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, he said, remain in Ephesus that you might charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. They already knew these things. When Paul told them, they began immediately to work on these things. So you see here in verse 3 that Jesus, again, is commending them, and he knows their works. And he closes out by saying, you have not become weary and well-doing. So the church at Ephesus was nothing like the older brother in Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son's older brother. You understand that? You can see he became weary and well-doing, and he got upset with his father because he had grace on his younger brother who had went and squandered his father's property with riotous living. But he came to his senses. And he said, I will rise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, I sin against you and I sin against heaven. He said, I'm no longer worthy to be your servant. But he said, I'm no longer worthy to be your son, but make me like one of your hired servants. And we know the story that the father embraced him and kissed him and Killed the fatty calf, put a new robe on, put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his shoes, and they celebrated. But the older brother got a little salty. Got a little salty. Christ knows what's going on in church. So closing point one, if you still have it, understand it's because of Christ that we still have it. Secondly, If you still have it, make sure you use it right. Verse four. Jesus says, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Now, any good teacher in the school district of Hillsborough County, you can tell that somebody when they started developing schools, not to mention most schools were created based on Christian principles to begin with in America, anyways. But you can see the principle here being applied. Understand that Jesus commended them first, right? He told them all the good things about them first. But then he lowers the boom. So in the school system, you learn this. I really want to tell you that your child gets on my nerves. That's what I want to tell you. That's why I really called you. I called you this evening to let you know that your child really gets on my nerves. But before I do that, I have to tell you that, you know what, your daughter, your son is one of the brightest kids in the classroom. I have to tell you that. We've been trained to do that. One of the brightest kids, I mean, when he walks in a room, I mean, he lights it up. And he's a natural, he has natural leadership qualities. But I have this one issue with your, with your child. They're always, they're always tardy, right? They're always talking while I'm teaching. You got to tell them the good and then tell them. here what you see with Jesus. He tells them the good and he tells I have this thing against you. You have left your first love. So you imagine your favorite restaurant, right, your favorite restaurant. You always eat at this restaurant. You love this restaurant. Your favorite dish. I mean, me and my wife have a, a favorite restaurant. Well, I think I have a favorite restaurant, and she comes with me, and I always order the same thing when we go to the restaurant. Always order the same thing. Now, imagine you come to your favorite restaurant. You're looking for your favorite dish. And you've been coming here for years, for years. For 40 years, you've been coming to the restaurant, you and your wife. And you come here one day, and they say that your dish is no longer on the menu. Have you ever seen that happen? At our favorite restaurant, they took off an appetizer that we loved, And it's not like we stopped going to the restaurant, but it kind of put a dent in the service. Because what we love the most is no longer on the menu. So you can understand, here's the issue here that Jesus has. I love you. But there's something that used to be on the menu that you no longer, you took it off the menu. And I love that about you. And you stopped doing it. There was a time when you were the first one at the church door. There was a time you wouldn't miss a Wednesday. You wouldn't miss a Sunday. There was a time you were willing to teach back there. Hmm? There was a time when you were willing to tell people about your faith. There was a time when you used to always invite people to church. There was a time when you couldn't stop talking about me. There was a time when you wouldn't stop talking about me and people had to tell you, stop talking about Jesus. You remember that? You remember when people used to tell you they just couldn't even be around you? Because all you used to talk about was Jesus. But now Jesus is saying, you no longer do that. And that was my favorite dish when I came to the restaurant. That was my favorite dish. How come you no longer do that? He said, nevertheless, I have this thing against you. That you have left your first love. In Ephesians chapter 1. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. We'll look at just a couple of the things that the church at Ephesus was known for. And we know it's true because Paul said that they were known for it. Now, in Revelation, it doesn't tell us exactly what the first love was. So we don't want to speculate, and I don't want to do that. But we can see from what Paul said that he said they were known for something, something that he heard about them. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, he says, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. That's what Paul knew about them. Now remember, Paul is writing this from prison. And he heard about their faith in the Lord And their love of all the saints. Well, question, Bay Area. Do you still have faith in the Lord? And do you still love the saints? I know Peter said somewhere, honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. And honor the king. Peter said that. I believe it's 1 Peter 2.17. I could be wrong, but I know Peter said it and I know it's in there. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. He said, fear God. Honor the king. They used to have faith in the Lord. They used to have love for all the saints, which is fulfilling the commandments because we know that. Jesus said the greatest commandment is this, love uh, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then the second commandment is like he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Clearly in verse in Ephesians 1:15, they were doing both of those things. They were loving the Lord and they were loving the brotherhood. But they're no longer doing this for some reason. I don't know. And we recognize that it's very difficult to do something that you don't love anymore. So you remember Michael Jordan. If you're a basketball fan, you remember Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan won won three straight championships. And I don't want to hear no debate about LeBron. It ain't no debate. It ain't no debate. It ain't no debate. Three straight championships. But somewhere when when his father passed away, something happened. And it seemed like he no longer had love for the game. So he retired. But then the craziest thing happened, he went and played baseball. And people said, man, what is Michael Jordan doing on a baseball field? He just didn't look right in a baseball uniform. And they sold a lot of tickets in these minor league stadiums. Again, because it's Michael Jordan. Same thing with Tim Tebow, because it's Tim Tebow. People are going to show up because. But at the end of the day, Michael Jordan did not look right in a baseball uniform. And he didn't play right. <laughs> it's not just the look. He wasn't good at it. He wasn't good at it. But somewhere he came to his senses, and he came back to basketball, and he went on another three feet. I'm telling you, that's why there ain't no conversation. It ain't no, it ain't no debate. Three Pete retired in another three P. But what's happening here though? What the Lord is teaching us is that there are sometimes in the body in Christ where we're doing the things that we love, but sometimes we falter. Sometimes we fall, we, we stumble, and we fall on hard times, whatever the case may be. But the same example with a Michael Jordan, the same example. Uh, with Michael Phelps. He retired from swimming at one point, but then he came back and won another five gold medals. You get what I'm saying? So he's he's showing us in life that it's okay to fall down, but get back up. So he's saying, nevertheless, I have this thing against you. You've left your first love. The same way Michael and both Michaels, they, they remembered and they repented and returned, which leads us to our third point. He says, look, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works or else. He said, I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. If you still have it, you can absolutely lose it. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, King Uh, Saul, King, uh, Saul, the first King of Israel, he was, they were facing the the Philistines. And the Philistines mounted up, I believe they said 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen, I could be mistaken. But they mounted up and met them at Big Mash. And the Israelites began to run and scatter and hide in caves and pits. But Saul was still in Gilgal. And knowing that the people were afraid and trembling, Saul was waiting for Samuel to come so he can get a word from the Lord on how he should go about going against the Philistines. But somewhere it says that, I guess Saul got impatient. And understanding he was a king, I guess in becoming impatient, he believed he was a priest too. But the truth is, he was not a king and a priest. That's Jesus. And Melchizedek, if you want to go further. But at the end of the day a king and a priest that's Jesus you're not Jesus you're not Melchizedek what are you doing offering sacrifices he offered a sacrifice and he gave up waiting on the priest to come and do his job and he took it upon himself and you understand in 1st Samuel chapter 13 around verse 13 or 14 Samuel says to him what you've done is foolish do you not know that the Lord would have established your kingdom forever. He said the Lord was going to establish your kingdom forever. Do you understand that Saul was about to be what David became? Had he not been so impatient? Had he not encroached upon the work of the priests, the ministry of the priests? He lost out on his legacy and tarnished his legacy because he was impatient and he was not willing to do what the Lord told him to do. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 15, you recall, uh, uh, the Lord sent him on a mission. He said, destroy the Amalekites. They destroyed everything that was worthless, every man, woman, boy, and girl, everything that was worthless. But they kept King Agag alive. And they kept all the best of the livestock and of the sheep and so on and so forth. And in 1 Samuel chapter 15, Samuel says this to him. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He also has rejected you from being king. When the Lord says He wants it done, wants it done a certain way, that's how He wants it done. You understand me? What you see happening at the church at Ephesus is this. You ever see somebody with a really nice car, a really nice car, they got a new car, new paint job, whatever the case may be? Now, you know good and well that there is one parking space per car. (laughs) There's one parking space per car. What do people with nice cars do? Hmm? They take up two spaces, right? Why do people with nice cars and new cars do that? How do you know? I got you. See, I got you. I got you. Now, look, you know they do that because they don't want anybody next to them. And I don't want your raggedy car bumping up against my new car. It's just the truth. You know this is what they're thinking. But how do you know that a nicer car, a more expensive car, or a better car wouldn't park next to you? Have ever thought of that? And how you know the person who owned the parking lot wanted, didn't want to park in that spot? Do you understand what Jesus is saying? Look, you are not too good. I, I know your works. I know your labor. I know your patience. You can't bear those who are evil. I know you persevered. You have patience. You labor for me. You're long-suffering. But you don't get to do it how you want to do it just because you have a good name. Just because you've been in the church for a 100 years. I know somebody just turned 99. <laughs> I'm just saying. We don't get to do it how we want to do it because we've been in the church for so long. I'm telling you, if Tom Manley would have said, no, we, you need to have slides, I would have had to come up with some slides. But he was gracious enough to just let me because I've been preaching mostly with just the Bible. So he said, don't worry about it. But if he would have told me I needed slides, the elder said, I need slides, so I got to get some slides. The Lord says, listen, I want you to repent and do the first works. I don't know what that looks like for you, but I know that there are certain things I used to do that I slacked on and I no longer do. That's why the question is, do you still have it? Lastly, if you still have it, you're going to have to prove it. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, but he who does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. He said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? And have we not done many wonders in your name? Jesus says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You know, there are some really good people in the world who believe that just because they're good, that they're good. I'm good. But Jesus says, believe and be baptized. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. And he who does not believe will be condemned. And then people argue back and forth with believers in Christ over baptism, over something that's so elementary. But notice that Jesus says, these folks did, They, they prophesied in Jesus' name, they cast out demons. They did many wonders. Do you know that in Acts chapter 18 in Ephesus, in Acts chapter 18, verses 24 through 28, you'll know that Paul ministered here in Ephesus, Apollos, Apollos, uh, ministered here, and Aquila and Priscilla ministered in Ephesus. In Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, you saw, you see that when those 12 guys were baptized by Paul again, because they were baptized under John's baptism, and they hadn't received the Holy Spirit. So they were rebaptized by John into Jesus. Baptism, and the Bible says that they began to prophesy. Also in Acts chapter 19, verse 11 and 12, the Bible says that handkerchiefs and, and aprons were taken from Paul <clears throat> and they were given to the people and it would drive out the diseases and the evil spirits. So in Ephesus, just like Jesus just said, there were many wonderful works done. There were people prophesying there, and there were people casting out demons, all in Jesus' name. But with all that being said, Jesus still had something against them. He still had something against them. Now, somebody said that every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is in Christ Jesus. You know why he said that? He said that to Ephesus. So it doesn't make sense for any for those at the church of Ephesus to walk away because they had a revelation like no other church had received. The the book of Ephesus is all about the church of Christ. It's all about Christ's church. So they had knowledge that a lot of people didn't have. And they knew that every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is in Christ Jesus. Forgiveness of sins. Eternal salvation. Salvation being saved from damnation. All these things are in Christ Jesus. There are certain things that are elementary to the gospel, and baptism is one of them. Jesus said to uh, Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and verse 5, he said, Barely, barely, I say unto you, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. He cannot enter it. So I don't know if there's anybody in this room who hasn't put on Jesus in baptism, But I'm telling you, everybody else in this room has put on Jesus in baptism. It doesn't isolate you, but it's telling you that everybody has to do it. Jesus is telling the church at Ephesus, you need to return to your first love. So in conclusion, I ask the question again, do you still have it? Do you still have the faith in the Lord that you once had? Do you still have the love for the saints that you should have? In Revelation chapter three, verse 20, Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, he said, I will come into him and I will dine with him. And he with me. And John chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus says the same thing, says, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my commandments and my father will love him and we will come to him and we will make our home with him. This morning, the father, the son and the Holy Spirit wants to make his home in somebody's life. If you've already made that decision and you're already a Christian, this is also the time if you want to give a praise report. Or if you recognize that you need prayer because you want to return back to the place and faith that you once were. You want to return to your first love. This is a time set aside where we welcome saints and anyone willing to join the body. As Together we stand and sing the invitation song. Thank yeah.